28. Well, it's good to be back home. I think it's about the longest I've been away from here for a long time. There's uh, about 20 days combining the two different places. Years ago, there was a man in our church that took his family to uh, Texas and uh, and brought them. They were down there for a while, and he had a little boy, about three years old, and he he couldn't pronounce Alaska, but uh, he tried to. But anyway, when he got back home, he got in his bed and and he had his little teddy bear or something, and he says, "I love you, Aki. I love you, Aki." And he's talking about Alaska <laughs> and being back home. And uh, although I didn't leave the state for most of the time, uh, the Kenai Peninsula is not like the interior, <laughs> even though it wasn't that bad. All right, as you know, we for weeks and weeks have been looking at the commandments that Jesus gave personally during his personal ministry. And we just went through the Gospels and tried to find the imperative verbs in the Gospels. And uh, we did that because of what he'd asked us to do in verse 20 of chapter 28 of Matthew, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. And so he commanded us, all the disciples and his people and his churches, after that to to teach those commands that he had given. And uh, it was a good study for me, hopefully for you. And now we've come to the last command, uh, two commands here in the last verses of Matthew 28. He says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now most of the time we would think that this command is the, is the word go, uh, but it's not. Actually, the word go is, uh, is, a, is a participle, and really it has the idea in going, and then he says, uh, bapt go, uh, baptize, <coughs> baptizing, an ing word, and then teaching them, an ing word, all these participles. But the command of this passage is to go to all the world and make disciples. And then that might be a surprise to you. The other command is the word low. And so there's two commands in this in this two 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 uh, verses. So he's saying, really, in going, therefore, teach. There's a command: all nations make disciples, see people saved baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, 
I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And so what he's saying is that uh, in going, you need to make disciples. Now, why, why was it, I think it's important to think about, why wasn't the command go? Why didn't he tell us to go? Well, basically, uh, as you've heard me say before, he never, he never considered a thought that we wouldn't be going. And so in going, what you need to do is make disciples and then teach them and baptize them. And then this word lo, really is like the word behold. And he's saying, when you're doing this, I'm commanding you to look up, to behold, to understand that uh, I am with you. That wherever we go in spreading the gospel, the Lord is with us. Now, uh, when we talk about missions, and this is one of the mission passages that's often used, when we talk about missions, uh, what actually do we mean by that? Well, the dictionary of those words, missions, and the Great Commission is not found in Scripture, but the word mission is defined as by Webster as a body of persons sent to perform a service or carry, carry on an activity. And so uh, God is sending us forth to carry out an activity, and that would be to spread the gospel. And then, and then uh, George Barna, which got, he's, a, he's a research guy and makes money by selling his research and his statistics, but he went to churches, and, and of course I use that word loosely, but he asked them, <laughs> what was the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? And uh, it's pretty staggering what he, what he found out. That this is as recently as uh, five years ago, he found that only 17% of people that were regular church attenders knew what the term meant. The remainder of the churchgoers, 51% had never even heard the term. And then 25% said they've heard of it, but they don't exactly know what it means. And I think that it's important to, uh, to understand that, and particularly as we study verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission, as defined in this passage, is seeing people saved, teach all nations, that's making disciples through preaching the gospel, baptizing them, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so the Great Commission is to go give the gospel. People responding to that gospel by faith and repentance. Baptizing them into a local New Testament church. We know that Acts chapter 2 says, They that gladly received the word were baptized, and there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so baptism 
was a prerequisite for church membership, but church membership always followed after the baptism. And then teaching them to observe. Now let me just uh, try to rest your attention here a little bit. Um, did you know that the one half from from the beginning of the from the beginning of time, uh, this is the beginning of time. One half of all people that uh, have ever existed. are alive today. Up to the age of five. I want you to think about that. Adam and Eve, their descendants, estimating of population growth, I guess, after the flood, probably have to take it from the flood and, and uh, Noah. But when it says one half of all the people that's ever existed exists today, that means that the mission field is greater today than it's ever been. That there are more lost people today in the world than there's ever been since the time of Noah. Indonesia, with a population of 90 million, is estimated to have between one and five Baptist missionaries. They're undercover, I guess, so they don't have a definite number. And of course, there's different Baptist groups. Latin America, you know, all these missionaries to Mexico and Brazil and different places. Latin America has one missionary to 27,000 population. Africa has one missionary to 18,000. India, a great populous nation, has one missionary to ever 104,000, 104,000 population. The Far East has one missionary to 52,000. Three out of five people, this is astounding. Three out of five people in France have never seen a Bible. France is really an atheist nation. 3,000 of the major world languages, of the 3,000 major world languages, 1,768 have no scriptures at all. And these figures may be differing uh, because it's, they are a little older. <clears throat> the average church member, <clears throat> when we talk about giving over and above the tithe to missions, the average church member gave the astounding amount of one dollar and fifty-six cents 
Timaeans. I'm glad that we're not average. Americans spend four times as much on dog and cat food and 62% more on chewing gum than they do to missions. Now let's talk about United States. Barna in his research, and I'm sure that he had a pretty lenient definition of what is truly a Christian, but he said that 33% of Americans are unchurched. One out of every three people, and I think it's a lot more here. And 20% who are members of a church believe that living a good life will gain them a place in heaven. And so just between those two statistics, the unchurch and, uh, and salvations by works, that gives you 53% of the United States population are lost. But if you throw in the agnostics and the skeptics and the new agers and the cultists, it's more like 75 to 80% of our fellow citizens are lost. And we think that we're a Christian nation. Now this is outstanding to me. In North Africa, of course North Africa would be in Islam country. In North Africa there is only one Christian pastor for, for missionaries or missionary for every two million people. And so one for every two million people. If that ratio was the one to two million, if that ratio was compared to North America, uh, US and Canada, if that same ratio existed as one to, to one missionary to every two million people, then if we would take that and apply it to United States and Canada, then the United States and Canada would have 120, 120 missionaries and seven churches. You understand what I'm saying? If we were like North Africa, there'd only be like 120 missionaries, all of Canada, and all of the United States with only seven small churches. Thank God we live in America. Thank God it was founded upon some Christian principles. Thank God that we can still preach the gospel today. And so there is a need and all these statistics can make us, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes they boggle our mind and sometimes we don't want to, want to even think about it. But uh, the little song that we, I used to sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children 
of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Did Christ die any less for them than he did for us? Or any more for them than he did for us? And so there is a need. Thank God that we have a man in Lebanon that's ministering to some people who've never saw the Bible before. And so why should we, why should we be involved in missions? Well, because of the subject that we're, we're studying, why should we be involved and in, in be concerned about the world? Well, we should be involved because it's commanded. It's not a suggestion, as we've been noting all of these, all of these imperative verbs that study in this study, the command is make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. And that involves not only seeing them saved, but it also involves um, turning them into, committing to them, to faithful men, the things that commit to other faithful men, making the making of disciples. And you can't, you can't look at uh, Matthew chapter 28 and these two verses without realizing that God's commanded it. And, and in Acts chapter 1, he says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Ye shall. It's not an option. Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. And Mark just says it very plainly. Mark does use the word go as a command. And Mark says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look over in Romans chapter 10. In Romans 10 and 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That the preacher is needed. Someone to proclaim the gospel is needed. And how shall they preach except they be sent, as is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And then in verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by uh, the word of God. And so, uh, let me shut this off. Uh, it is our job. Now, let's ask the question, uh, where? It's commanded, who, what, where, why? Where, where should we go? Well, this passage here says, it says, all nations. Well, what about the closed nations? 
all nations. What about the closed nations? Well, who closed them? Did God close them? There may be a way. But I want you to look at um, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And Jesus said, But you shall receive power. That word power there is dunamis, ability power. In Matthew 28, he said, all power is given to me, go ye therefore. Uh, that's authority power. But he says here, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world, or the earth. And so he, he kind of breaks it down here. He says, he says, Jerusalem. That's my city. Judea. That's like my borough here in Alaska. Or my county. Samaria. My state. And then the world. Now, where should we go? What are we responsible for? When he commanded us to make disciples, what are we responsible for? I I was in a mission conference years ago, and uh, a preacher was preaching, and he said, until, until we went to our city, until we went to our city, these, these, are, these have to come secondary. That until we go to our city, then we don't need to be worrying about our county or worrying about our state. But worrying about our world. And so we need to be busy about, about uh, North Pole, the North Star Borough. But there's one little word there that's vital that we understand. And he said there, both both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost part of the world. Though I'm so be concerned about Argentina, as much as I'm concerned about North Pole, or wherever God leads us to go, that my, I should be just as concerned for those lost people in Lebanon 
that Noah ministered to today as I should be for North Pole. But I can't go every place. And I am here, and I have the opportunity to minister here, and as I have the opportunity to go throughout the borough or throughout the state and, throughout, and, and go to the world. And so someone has said, we must go, but we all must, also must send a substitute. And so all I'm saying is this, is that we know that it takes many different churches involved and in going to many different areas, and we can help those churches not dictate to them or direct them, but jump in and help them financially. But we need to do what we can where we're at. But the, the, the issue is this. The issue is, is uh, that it's commanded and he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. But the issue is not whether I can be in Argentina and be in Fairbanks there at the same time. But the issue is one of vision. How big is our vision? can't quote that, I'm trying to think of the word, but without a vision, uh, that's not the way it goes, but with no vision the people perish. And it's talking about a vision for what God can do and what God is doing, and a vision, you know, that in my life, I'm gonna to have to make some plans and hope for some things. I'm gonna to have to have some kind of vision of what God can do, but I need to also have a vision for the world. As Jesus looked out on the multitude and was moved with compassion. And so we find here that God has called us to lift up our eyes and look upon the field for the ripe already to harvest. Now, Let's ask the question. We see that. Let's ask the question. Let's ask the question how? How is it to be done? Well, when we look in our text and we compare that with. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, you'll find the Lord set in the church first apostles. And so when the Lord, the Lord is speaking here, we're going to ask, have to ask ourselves, who is he talking to? And he talks about then the 11 disciples in verse 16. And then he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so who is this commission? Who is it given? And that'll help us learn the how. This commission was either given to 12 men or 
individual men that we all have this commission. As a Christian, we've all been individually given the great commission and the command to go. Or it has to be given to a, to a corporate entity. And uh, how do you spell entity? E-N-T-I-T-Y? Okay. Okay, so, it was given to the 12, and the office of an apostle isn't passed down from through time, then it ended when the 12 men died. If it was given to each of us individually, <coughs> It's impossible. Because I can't be in North Pole and go into all the world at the same time. I can't do that. It's impossible for one person for it to it involve individuals. And so the Lord gave it to the corporate entity uh, which he identifies as his church. A local assembly that he said there in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power. Later on, those 12, and even as he's talking to those, the, the, in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1, we find that there's 120 members in the upper room. He gave that church the ability to do it. But ye shall receive power. Dunamis, the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon them and empowering them. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the most parts of the earth. And how did that how did that flesh out? Well, they created a church over there in Samaria. Uh, Paul and Barnabas went down to Antioch. Paul and Barnabas went into Europe. People churches were started over and over and over and over, each one of them inheriting from their founding church the responsibility to take the gospel to the world. It seems like my energy levels down here a little bit, and you guys are very quiet this morning, but let me again try to um, put a little fire under us. If we were that church in the beginning, if we're the only church left that God recognizes, it's our job to go to all the world. It's our job to preach and see souls saved and to organize churches and that to go on and on and on. You see, uh, 
God wants to, it's very interesting, verse 2 also in Ephesians chapter 3. This is just a little rabbit here, not a big one. You don't want to catch that rabbit all the time. On, on Sunday, on Wednesday night, uh, my grandkids came to church down there and, and two different ones said, Grandpa, Grandpa, you know what happened? And, he, and I said, no, what happened? He said, well, Mom and Dad heard a bunch of screaming in the middle of the night and they didn't know what it was. And the next morning we went out there and there's this dead cotton, this dead uh, snowshoe rabbit in the yard. The, the uh, owl had got him and he was screaming. <laughs> well, maybe we need a rabbit here to get our attention, grab a hold of him and let him scream. But the deal is, that God wants to get glory by seeing souls saved. Remember the, the Moravian missionaries who set out to go to a leper colony thinking that they would never return again. And uh, as the families came down and watched the selling ships leave with these two missionaries on it to go into the West Indies, they cried out, may our Lord receive the, re may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And mission work is about that primarily. And we forget that. But in Ephesians 3.21, he says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. The word church means ecclesia. It's a, ecclesia. It, it means a called out assembly. And so the Lord wants to work in and through his New Testament churches. And so let's see how that pans out. Look in, look in uh, Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, the church of Jerusalem is functioning. They've come down, two leaders of the church, John and uh, James, I think. Uh, they come down to Samaria, and it seems as though a church was started there. But in Acts chapter 11, and verse 22, then tithes of these things, uh, the verse 19 and 20 and 21, that people have been scattered from the persecution, and the, and the many Grecians believed the preaching of the word in verse 20. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And then the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And so Jerusalem church, the first church, hears that something's going on. Well, why, why did they need Barnabas down there? Why did they need him to go? When, it, when souls were being saved already, why did he need to go? Because there needed to be a connection with a home church. There needed to be a connection with the authority that God gave, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. And so what's going on here? Something more than salvation, but he's encouraging them to cleave together and cleave unto the Lord. He's encouraging what I believe is 
forming together of a church. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And so they're going along. Paul and Saul and Barnabas are there preaching and teaching, and things are uh, working. And then in Acts chapter 13, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius the Cyrene and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And so we, we know that Saul and Barnabas were the leaders. Uh, they were instrumental. They were, they were like the chief pastors there. And these other men are involved in ministry too. And as they ministered the Lord to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work where I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Way too much to teach here. But, but the, two, the two leaders of this work are called. And they're called to mission work. And you see, uh, you see that, uh, number one, God calls. But the church sent. Separate me. The church also separates And involved in that is the qualifications. Because everybody that comes forward and says, I'm called to be a missionary, is not necessarily a missionary. And the church is given an obligation to make sure they meet the qualifications. And those are given, of course, in Timothy and in Titus. And so uh, they, uh, they go forth. They, they're separated. And then in... Uh, they, they go on their first missionary journey and they come back to the church that sent them out. Look over in um, chapter 14 and verse 26. And they sent to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. You see, some, the church had to recommend them. They're not freelancers. And when they were come, they gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith into the Gentiles. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. As they come back, they're, member, they're, they're part of this church. They're, they're abiding with the disciples. And you see here that they had been recommended uh, by that church. And then what happens is that Paul and Barnabas have a little bit of a fallout. Chapter 15 and verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas. You see that in verses 36, 37, 38. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to, uh, to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being what? Recommended of the brethren. Paul just didn't say, you're going with me. But no, they were recommended of the brethren. The brethren approved them. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, confirming the churches. And so the church is still 
involved. And then in chapter 18 and verse 22, they've been on their second missionary journey in Acts 18 and 22. And when they had landed at Caesarea and had gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And so he, he, he salutes the church that was founded in Caesarea. And then he goes back home. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. And so he's still going back to this home church. God's plan can't be improved upon. It's a church that separated, that proved them. It's a church that God gives God the glory. These mission-sending agencies are, we could say, extra-scriptural, or we could say they're unscriptural. Uh, they're not found in the Bible. Now, look also in Philippians chapter 4. these different times I'm thinking they have different times every place I've been preaching here lately but we finish at 1040 11 40, 1045 right we're supposed to anyway chapter 4 and look in verse uh, Paul's writing to this church at Philippi. He started it, but he was a member of the church at Antioch. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 4, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. That word communicate means they shared their money. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I parted from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again to my necessity. And the time period of establishing the church in Thessalonica was not a long time. But he said, even when I was there, you sent financial support. Not because I desire a gift. Not because I wanted it or desired it. Or begged for it, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's saying, giving to missions will result in fruit to a church's account. But I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so he's just communicating to them how God used them to support them. And when you study about the churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians, they'll say that they, they were in deep poverty, yet they gave to missions. But look at verse 19. But my God 
shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a good verse that we often say, well, God will supply all my needs. But the context, 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 the context is that it was a promise that was connected with giving to missions. Supported by a local New Testament church. And sadly, we've gotten away from that. There's been uh, organizations that take the church's place. There's been mission boards and mission societies. The Bible Baptist and Springfield have their own mission board. The Southern Baptist has their own mission board. And they set up the standards. They minister to the missionaries. They approve the missionaries. Funds go to the board and then go to the missionaries. And oftentimes the board has to take out money for, for uh, uh, administrative things. And so if you send $100 to uh, some of these mission boards, to uh, missionary uh, Jonathan... Jonathan Sam, I guess, whatever his last name, that he made it only get $95 of it. But we will send all the money to the missionary. And uh, the system works. God's design works. Now also, I think we need to keep in mind what that the true missions the true missions has to it has to involve it involves the the three parts of uh, the Great Commission. There's a guy in town whose wife, I don't know if she's still a doctor, Sagonis, Mr. Sagonis. He has a portable, he has a, a drill, a, 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 a water drill that's very portable. And his mission work is to go to Africa and drill water wells. Because in many places in Africa, the water is really contaminated. That's a good deal. That's needed. But that's not missions. It may help gather a group of people together. But, the, but there needs to be more than that. Right now, of course, there's probably religious groups that are amassing food to take into Gaza. It's, it's no doubt needed. In fact, uh, if you paid attention, the, the hospital that was bombed 
had the Baptist name attached to it. It's a Baptist hospital. Good work. I mean, it's a work. But that's not missions. It's good humanitarian work. The training of midwives in Africa so there's not so many, many births that fail is a good deal. Providing for rice when the Hmong refugees were being uh, persecuted in Vietnam and, and in Cambodia and they went to Thailand and Brother Jeff Lang, missionary we support, he gave the Hmong people there who had no right to work in Thailand, he gave them uh, rice, a lot of rice. And that's a very good thing because those people were about to die. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't at times help out in those humanitarian needs. But it should be for the sole purpose of having an ear that might hear the gospel. And so we can't, we, we can do many things that would enhance the gospel and, and open the door for the gospel. But mission work is going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And then baptizing them, teaching them about church membership and their testimony of of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then teaching them, discipling them to do all the things that Christ has commanded us. And so mission work needs to involve all of those. So the last thing that we would consider is what can I do? What? What can I do? Well, If God's called you specifically to be a pastor or a missionary and evangelist, then you can surrender. Otherwise, we should, we, each of us should let our lights shine daily. When God called out from the temple where Isaiah saw the angels and saying holy 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 God says uh, who will go for us who will go Paul and Barnabas answered the call to go well we're to go to all the world preach the gospel ye shall be witnesses unto me and I think we all can improve on that faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God we can also be involved in prayer. Praying for Noah as the bombs are falling in the southern part of Lebanon. Paul wrote, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is priest, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And there's many, many, many verses about prayer. And then, as we just looked at, so we can go, we can pray, and then finally, 
My God supply all your needs according to his riches by Christ Jesus you can give. All right. All right. I don't know where we're going to go.